And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hodnell. This is the Ken Hodnell Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West in the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is December the 9th, 2022. It is the 343rd day of the year. 22 days remain to the years over with. And what a year it has been. Well, <clears throat> a couple of high points historically. On this date in 1835, during the Texas Revolution, the Texas Army captures San Antonio during the Siege of Bexar. The uh, 1856, the Iranian city of Bushehr surrenders to the occupying British forces. And in 1868, on this date, the first traffic lights were installed right outside the Palace of Westminster in London. Resembling railway signals, they used symphomore arms and illuminated at night by red and green gas lamps. Well, <clears throat> 1937, the Second Sino-Japanese War. This was the date of the Battle of Nanking, when Japanese troops under the commander General Yoshihiko Asaka launched an assault on the Chinese city of Nanking. There's a lot of historical information regarding that particular campaign. I heard something referred to it as the Rape of Nanking. The... Uh, 1941, World War II, China, Cuba, Guatemala, and the Philippine Commonwealth declare war on Germany and Japan. They followed our lead. On this same date, the American 19th Bombardment Group attacks Japanese ships off the coast of Vigan and Luzon. And in 1946, some of the Nuremberg trials began with the doctor's trial. Prosecuting physicians and officers alleged to be involved in the Nazi human experimentation and mass murder that was done under the guise of euthanasia. <coughs> well, there's a lot of history around this particular date. Um, the uh, main thing to consider is this is right after December 7th. So a lot of the our attention was focused on uh, the attack at Pearl Harbor and the events leading up to the declaration of war on the 11th which uh, this year would be Sunday. That's why I'm talking about it today. The fascinating events that you come upon when you when you do a study of history is um, what we learn in school isn't always the truth. Now, just to be specific, December 11th, 1941, Germany and Italy declare war on the U.S., 
following our declaration of war on the Empire of Japan. And of course, turn about being fair play, we then declare war against Germany and Italy. Um, on the same date, the 11th, Poland declares war on the Empire of Japan. And uh, it's also the date the Imperial Japanese Navy suffers the first loss of surface vessels during the Battle of the Wake Island. So as I say, there's quite a lot of history. Uh, and I personally find it fascinating. Now, the uh, one of the things that... Uh, I have been uh, remiss about is a lot of people are aware of my um, fascination by the stories of ghosts and hauntings. And I was asked to talk about uh, some of my more memorable encounters. Now, one of the books that I've done. And you'll find them all shortly up on Amazon. Many of them are now, but uh, we're going to go heavily into uh, ebooks. Has to do with the historic hotel here in El Paso. It was uh, originally called the Hotel Paso del Norte. And it was the dream of Zach White. He became a successful El Paso businessman. Originally from uh, Amherst County, Virginia. Now, the design of this hotel was the product of two great disasters. The burning of the El Paso Grand Central Hotel in 1892. Now, that was a... a uh, anybody who was anybody who came to El Paso stayed at the El Paso Grand Hotel, the Grand Central Hotel. And when it burned in 1892, there was a lot of loss of life because someone, either an individual or a group of individuals, had chained the fire exit doors. So if you're on the first and second floor, you just, you could get out the window. But on the third and fourth floor, uh, there, was no, there were no ladders, and a lot of people committed suicide by jumping. They had no choice. And it also involved the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. Now, in the San Francisco earthquake, firestorms swept the city after the uh, earthquake. A lot of, uh, or a number of buildings survived the firestorms and the earthquake because of the way they were built. And White had been one of the first to uh, arrive to try to put out the fire at the Grand Central Hotel. And he said later this was the beginning of his idea to build a fireproof hotel in El Paso, something that very few cities had. And after the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, Zach White and J.E. Lewis, uh, an engineer, copied the foundation plans and the design features of those buildings that survived the quake. So if you're in El Paso, Texas, and there's an earthquake, head for the Camino uh, Paso del Norte Hotel, which later became known as the Camino Real Hotel. And I understand after the most recent renovation, it's gone back, uh, many people are calling it the 
Paso del Norte Hotel again. Now, the earthquake-proof features, coupled with a fireproof design, were incorporated into this hotel, which opened for guests December 1912. It was considered a major accomplishment. Now, of course, the Paso del Norte Hotel wasn't White's only contribution to El Paso. He aided in the building of the first Santa Fe Bridge, uh, Santa Fe Street International Bridge, which was replaced by the Paso del Norte Bridge in 1967. Helped build the first brick plant in El Paso, as well as the first streetcar line. He was the vice president of the Gas, Electric, Light, and Power Company. And is one of El Paso's strongest advocates for the use of electricity and gas. But he is most remembered for the building of what he called his dream hotel. Now, the, uh, the Grand Central had been located on the corner where the Mills Building sits today. Well, that wasn't a large enough footprint for him. So there was an area down the street where the Colbert Cigar Store and Factory sat, the Guarantee Shoe Store, and the Happy Hour Theater, El Paso's best-known vaudeville house. And nothing was too good for his dream hotel, so he bought those uh, lots of land. took two years and $1.5 million for the building to be completed by Trost and Trost Architects and J.E. Lewis, the construction engineer. And only the finest materials were used in the construction of this dream hotel. He wanted it to be the finest constructed building in El Paso at the time and for many years to come. It was a 10-story structure built of steel and concrete with an earthquake-proof foundation, a brick exterior, and terracotta trim. And the inside partitions and walls are made from fireproof white gypsum from they came from White Sands, which is not too far from here. Now, the lobby was designed with a meticulous attention to detail. He had Italian artisans brought to El Paso to do the work just the way he wanted it done. Tiffany's in New York specially designed and constructed the golden Tiffany stained glass dome with its elaborate mahogany carvings that graces the lobby of this grand old hotel. The dome is actually made up of 17 individual pieces of stained glass and is suspended by wires due to its tremendous weight. If it wasn't suspended in that fashion, it would collapse in the center. The area beneath the uh, Tiffany uh, ceiling became what was known as the dome bar. And the dome bar chandeliers are unique in their design as well. During one of the renovations of the hotel, these European chandeliers were installed to light the lobby. It's one of the first buildings in El Paso to have, or uh, in many places in the country, to have electric light in that fashion in the lobby. These electrically lit fixtures were among the first electrical lights anywhere in the area. Now, the chandeliers in the Dome restaurant, which was originally called the Depot, were replicas of the original candle chandeliers that were lowered in the evening for the candles to be lit and then raised back up to their normal height. There were actually three lobbies in the original design. 
Each decorated with cherry stone, green and gold, scagliola lit by European chandeliers and trimmed with black serpentine marble. Oh, it was a beautiful building in every respect. It was truly the finest hotel of its type anywhere in the country. And this show place opened for customers Thanksgiving Day 1912, and they had a lavish ball. Anybody who was anybody from the U.S., Mexico, many foreign countries came for the event. Over the years, the rooftop ballroom and patio were the scenes of many din uh, dinner dances and Sunday tea dances. Also, the preferred gathering place for those who wanted to watch the progress of Pancho Villa's forces across river and waters during the Mexican Revolution. Interestingly enough, many, many people viewed the battles across the river almost as a show put on there for their benefit. And many folks spent their afternoons and evenings sitting up on the roof watching. There were also a few casualties because of uh, rounds that... Uh, went further than they were anticipated. Later, the hotel became the center of the cattle industry, with more cattle being bought and sold in the lobby of this hotel than any other single location in the world. Well, the, this historic old hotel stayed in the White family until 1970 when TGK Investment Company bought the structure from Mary and Catherine White, the daughters of Zach White. Been a number of renovations and remodelings of the Hotel Paso del Norte the most recent being the addition of the 17-story tower in 1986. Now, White wanted to build the most modern hotel in the Southwest. So on December 19, 1912, he had a huge oil storage tank installed in the Hotel Paso del Norte. The tank, manufactured by the El Paso Foundry, was 8 feet in diameter and 62 feet long built to hold 12,100 gallons of oil to be used for heating the hotel. Plan was for the tank to be filled directly from the railroad tank cars on the GH and SA tracks through a pipeline built directly to the hotel. He left nothing to chance. The original hotel used coal to fire the boilers that provided steam heat to the rooms. Coal would be collected in rail cars and dumped in the, on the yard adjacent to the property. 1915, the Hotel Paso del Norte built a coal bin underneath the hotel in which the coal could be placed instead of leaving it out in the weather. Interestingly enough, this coal bin was built directly next to the hotel bakery. I mean, literally, the basement of this hotel was a city unto itself. Now, a few odd things, you might say. The original design of the hotel didn't have closets in the rooms. Guests would use, use cloak rooms with hooks mounted on the walls to hold their clothing. You might ask why this was done, and the reason is because in those days most travelers would carry their clothing rolled up in large carpet bags. When they got to their designation, they'd unroll the garments and hang them up on hooks. And that's why the rooms in the old section of the hotel offer mahogany armoires instead of closets for the use of the guest. I mean, there's no doubt... Zach White spared no expense in ensuring that Paso del Norte was a thoroughly modern hotel in every uh, aspect. 
Another unusual feature of this hotel was the installing in the basement of tiled hot tubs and bathing areas for use by the guest. In those days, most hotels had communal uh, showers as opposed to uh, en suite. Now, of course, I'm sure Mr. White had no plans for his hotel to become a haven for the restless spirits of those who haven't yet gone on to whatever it is that the dare, wherever it is the dared go. But almost from the first, guests and employees and staff have seen and heard things that are beyond the ordinary and certainly beyond the expected. In fact, I'm told that some people refuse to stay in the old sections of the hotel due to the unusual occurrences. Now remember, I've talked at length in earlier shows about the fact that sometimes ghosts are not attached to a building, but to the land. If the building is torn down and replaced, they haunt the new building just as well as the old. Now, I've attended many events in this historical hotel. Naturally, in discussions with other attendees, these various functions, the conversations often have turned to the stories associated with the old hotel. That's how I heard about the young woman in the white dress who's been seen in the basement of the hotel by members of the staff. And in fact, it appears that I had a uh, visit with her in the elevator. Now, according to the story associated with this young lady, she came, some say she's a relative of uh, Zach White, some say she uh, came on her own and stayed, but she took up with a young man from Juarez, Mexico, and as things happened, she got pregnant, and it was agreed that she and her young man will get married. And it's not quite had taken an interest in the young lady. It was decided that they'd do the wedding of the season in the ballroom at the uh, the Camino. Or, excuse me, uh, in those days it was a Hotel Paso del Norte. I've always called it the Camino because in the 20 years I did ghost tours there, it was always the Camino Real Hotel. Now, both families... Uh, whether she was a white or not, uh, the white family took an interest in her. And the young man came from a wealthy family in Juarez. So both families were somewhat prominent in the community. So arrangements were made that this wedding was to take place on the 10th floor of the hotel, which in those days, at one end of the corridor, was a large ballroom. Now, by today's standards, it wouldn't be considered large at all. But in those days, it was quite... Uh, top of the line, so to speak. Now, everybody looked forward to it. People came from far and wide. In fact, the week before the wedding, you couldn't get a room between Las Cruces, New Mexico, and uh, into Juarez and out into uh, as far as Horizon City. And when the big day arrived, that hotel was packed. And the, in fact, there were so many people crammed into the ballroom that they had the huge windows open that faced to the south. And in those days, there were no screens on the windows. So they were just open to the air. And the um, 
the priest was standing between the two windows. And the groom and the bride were to face him. And then they would leave uh, by going out onto the roof and uh, through the pool. There was, There is a pool on the 10th floor as well. And then go to the room they were going to stay in until they got ready to leave for their honeymoon. Well, when it came time for the wedding, everybody was there except the groom and one bridesmaid. The two disappeared. They were never seen again. Now, mortified and depressed at being left at the altar, this young would-be bride screamed, ran across the room, and took a header out the uh, 10th floor window. She landed on top of the dome bar ceiling, uh, nine floors below. But that wasn't the end of her travail, so to speak. It said her spirit comes back looking for her young man. She wanders the halls. Now, as I said, I used to do ghost tours there every Saturday night. And we would start out in what was called the Pancho Villa room, where I would talk to the people about some of the stories. And interesting about the Pancho Villa room, every time I'd mention his name, the lights would blink. Never did find out why that happened. But one afternoon, after I did my little talk, I got on the elevator to go down to the lobby and meet the folks that wanted to do the walking tour. And on, there had been a, a lot of weddings take place at the Camino, or the uh, <coughs> Hotel Paso Don Norte. And on this particular day, I knew there was a wedding going on, but I hadn't seen any of the participants. And on the elevator was a gorgeous young lady in a wedding dress. Absolutely one of the most beautiful young women I've ever seen. And she was standing in the corner, very reserved. And I'm and I made the comment to her that uh, it's not late to run and she smiled and sadly I thought and said, Yes it is. Well when I got off the elevator in the lobby, she stayed on. And uh there's no question in my mind I was talking to a real, live young lady. When I got to the, the lobby, the head of security uh, was standing there talking to a couple, and he introduced me to uh, the bride, a uh, rather pretty young blonde. And I said, I met the other bride on the elevator, and she looked at me, and said, there's no bride here but me. I said, well, I just rode the elevator with one. Well, the head of security assured me there was no other wedding going on there, and there was no other bride anybody had seen. And when I described her, he said, well, that's the description most people give me of the, the, uh, the ghost bride, the one that killed herself. The, uh, I tell you, if that young man left, that gorgeous young lady. Um, he should have his head examined. She was a stunner. Now on the mezzanine, it's been said that sometimes, usually late at night, or in the early hours of the, of the next morning, members of the cleaning crew will see a door where there's not been a door before. 
And when you get close to that door and they listen, they hear the sounds of a party going on on the other side. Now, as far as I'm aware, nobody's yet opened the door to see who was at the party. Those that, uh, who say they've seen that mysterious door have gone to get somebody else to witness this rather bizarre occurrence. When they come back, the door and the sounds emanating from behind it have vanished. They find only a blank wall where that door had been a short time before. Uh, I'm told that this is because there have been so many renovations that uh, where once there was a door, now there's a wall, and vice versa. Maybe one day somebody will have the courage to open that door and see who it is on the other side. The question is, would they survive that um, particular encounter? Well, Zach White's original Paso del Norte has been added on to several times over the years. Current interest and registration desk is one of the new additions. And of course, in 1986, the Dome Bar was built directly beneath the Tiffany Dome, for which the hotel is so well known. And as a result of this conversation, uh, this conversion of the lobby area into a bar, the original entrance to the hotel now opens directly on, into the Dome Bar and is rarely used. Another of the expansions uh, of the original Hotel Paso del Norte resulted in the demolition of the LNA Theater, which is a historic old theater that was built in 1918 by J.M. Lewis and Victor Andreas. They paid $94,000 to create that theater inside the uh, oh, Hotel Paso del Norte. It opened a great fanfare November 10th, 1918, with a seating capacity of 940. It was considered one of the larger um, theaters in the area. Now, keeping in mind, if you will, that many people came to the LNA just to see the facade. There has been uh, one of the issues of getting old. I just had to remove my hearing aids because it's reacting to my uh, equipment here that um, allows me to do this show. Now, the two owners of the LNA had spared no expense trying to outdo all the other similar theaters in the city. There was a recessed arch over the marquee that enclosed a glazed tile mural featuring three muses from Greek mythology and two paired couples dressed in Roman clothing. True foliage formed the foreground under the arch and the Renaissance landscape in the background completed what was truly an eye-catching mural. And the figures in the foreground were in bas relief. These glazed tiles were large, about 24 inches square. The entire arch was about 25 feet long. And about four feet above the cornice of the building were busts of J.M. Lewis and Victor Andreas. Unfortunately, in the 1983 expansion of the hotel, the result was the destruction of this beautiful old building. There is another entrance in what used to be the original Hotel Paso de Norte Bar, which is now called Uptowns. You come in from San Antonio Street, but that's almost always locked. As a result, this historic original bar, which sometimes is open for parties and political events, is seldom used. At one event my wife and I attended at the hotel, which is now known as the Camino Real, as I said, we were 
Early in the doors to the ballroom on the mezzanine, where the event was to be held, were still locked so the staff could finish setting up the room. So we went to the dome bar to wait. And while we were sitting, I idly asked the cocktail waitress about a story I heard of people walking out of the wall in the lobby. She smiled for a moment and looked around. We were early enough, there weren't all that many people uh, present, so she balanced her tray against one hip and told us a very interesting story. She said she heard there was a mural on the wall showing a group of people standing around a piano. Now, I had never really noticed that mural before, and I have to admit, though I have two friends who tell me they've seen the, the mural the young lady is referring to, she went on to tell me that uh, one night, one of the night managers was checking the, the bar, comparing sales against stock levels, things like that. And he began to feel like something was wrong when he glanced up to see a woman walk out of the mural and stop in the middle of the floor. He said she was young and slim and attractive, dressed in clothing from years ago and wearing one of those big hats with flowers on it. She looked around like she was confused or never seemed to really notice the night manager standing just a few feet away. He went around the bar and started toward her, and at that point she backed right up into the against the wall and merged back into the mural. He ran over and ran his hands over the wall, and, but there was no place she could have gone. And at that point he decided there was a job he had to do elsewhere and left the bar. I'm told he spent the remainder of his shift sitting on the bench outside the hotel. Now, I asked if she'd seen, if she'd, um, if the woman had been seen again, and the young lady said it was rumored that some of the housekeeping staff had seen her once or twice walk out of the mural, but they rarely stayed to see what the young woman did. Seeing somebody walk out of a wall is enough to make most people decide to go elsewhere. One one worker, she said, it quit after seeing some of the things that happened in the hotel. Now, she said she hadn't per personally witnessed anything, but still, she heard a a lot of stories that made her a little afraid to work the night shift in the bar. I decided to see if I could verify the stories I'd heard. I went to the hotel and asked to speak to the manager. I was directed to a lovely young lady by the name of Michelle Cape, who was the director of sales. And she took time out of her busy schedule to tell me the stories she'd heard since she came to work at the Camino Real. Now, frankly, I expected a blanket denial that there were any ghosts at the Camino. However, she was very frank. She said she'd heard folklore concerning two prominent spirits who appeared from time to time at the property. The best-known story, she said, was a young woman in a white gown who had been stood up at the altar that I mentioned earlier. According to what she'd been told, the girl was to be married at the Hotel Paso del Norte, but something happened, and she now haunts the 10th floor. I asked if she had any idea of the name of the ghost, and she said, according to rumor, it was Catherine White, the daughter of Zach White which might account for the White family being so interested in that uh, particular wedding. The other spirit that seems to frequent the hotel is a well-dressed man who wears a black suit cut in the style of the 19th century and always wears a bowler hat. This figure's been seen a number of times by a number of people and is rumored to be the Ben Dowell, a Kentuckian who became El Paso's first mayor. She said that Ben Dow's home and saloon stood at 115 South El Paso Street, the very spot where the Hotel Paso de Norte's original bar was built. I asked if she had any examples of his appearances, and she said that she'd heard from housekeeping he has the 
Happened to be appearing in closets and other odd places, scaring the daylights out of the housekeeper that comes upon him unexpectedly. I asked her about the stories I'd heard about doors suddenly appearing on the mezzanine level, and she said she'd heard from housekeeping that unexplained doorways and stairways have appeared at different locations throughout the hotel, where there may have once been a door or stair that doesn't exist today. She hadn't heard the story I related to her of a housekeeper hearing a party going on behind the closed doors, but she said she'd ask around. I then asked about the mural around the dome bar where the lady allegedly walked out of the wall. And she said she knew of a large photograph, but not a mural in the bar area. She said there's faded artwork in what was the 10th floor ballroom, but she couldn't think of any murals in the lobby area. I asked about seeing the artwork in the ballroom, and she said it was no longer open to the public as it was the... What was the original ballroom is now an engineering room. Talking of the engineering department reminded her of a story that a friend had told her. She said that there was a man she knew well who worked in the engineering department. He'd been in the dome bar one day when the man in the bowler hat came into the bar and sat down beside him. Her friend said they had a very nice conversation for some length. Seriously thought he was talking to a guest till the man in the bowler hat got up from his seat, walked into the corner near the bar and vanished. Her friend was somewhat surprised, to say the least. Uh, she was confident he was a credible witness and he wasn't making it up. I asked about other stories she'd heard since joining the staff. She said most of them dealt with occurrences on the tenth floor or in the lobby. Though she mentioned earlier in our conversation, the housekeepers talk of the man in the bowler hat appearing in various places throughout the hotel. In retrospect, it's not a wild notion to think the Hotel Paso del Norte, or the Camino Real, to call it by its current name at the time I wrote the book, could or would be haunted. Much life and death in El Paso over the, the almost 100 years the hotel stood has been associated with this imposing structure. Due to its location, the Hotel Paso del Norte was virtual center of life in early El Paso. There was a reenactment done in 1966 of the April 14, 1881 event known as the Four Men Shot Dead in Five Second Shootout that took place in front of the Hotel Paso del Norte. In this particular confrontation, Dallas Studenmeyer, the newly appointed city marshal, was called upon to deal with the murder of a former Texas ranger named Krimkow by Johnny Hale, manager of the Mannings Ranch, and a man on trial already for the murder of two Mexicans. Some of the testimony to trial had been in Spanish, and Krimkow had acted as a translator for the court. Now, Hale apparently didn't like what was said and chose to accost Krimkow during the noon recess where the hidden gun had been smuggled to him by friends. In the famous shootout, Johnny Hale killed Krimkow. Studenmeyer pulled his weapons and shot at Hale, but instead of hitting Hale, killed a man named Lopez, an innocent bystander. Then he fired again and killed Hale. George Campbell, ex-city Marshal, an enemy of Studenmeyer, drew down on the Marshal. Studenmeyer cured Campbell. Of such confusion, legends are made, and the death of an innocent man is forgotten. But five men died in a short period of time. This came graciously allowed me to wander the hotel and talk to some of the staff. A very cute young lady named Rosemary Coigoy worked at the front desk. She had a story about a guest staying on the 16th floor, directly below the presidential suite, which at that time was located on the 17th floor. She was working the graveyard shift one night, and 
The guests called from the 16th floor to complain about the noisy party and the loud piano music coming from the floor above that was keeping them awake. So she sent security to the suite, the presidential suite, but it was empty. There was no party. Nobody's playing the grand piano located in the presidential suite. However, other security personnel who had been sent to the room that made the complaint on the floor below could clearly hear the sounds of the party. Then there was Robert Diaz, director of security for the hotel. He related two incidents he'd been involved in during his time on the job. A new manager had been transferred to El Paso and was living in the hotel while looking for a house. This was a new manager for the hotel itself. One afternoon, she and her daughter went to the pool on the 10th floor. On arriving at the pool, she saw somebody she thought was suspicious, a lady who appeared extremely angry, who was pacing up and down and uh, acting as if she was arguing with somebody. The manager stood outside the only door to the pool area and called down to security. Two officers were dispatched to check on the lady, and when they got there, there was no one in the pool section. Assuming she may have gotten out and left by way of the stairs, they checked the stairs all the way to the street level and never found anybody. The interesting thing is she could not have gotten out of the pool area without being seen, but she did. The other incident happened during the construction of the new floors and the new addition. It was night security furnished by the contractor to make sure the tools stayed safe. One night he was called by hotel security personnel and told that the security furnished by the contractor had run off the job and that one man had kept running when he got to the street. They weren't able to find that particular man who had been the one that actually sparked the original panic. Finally, the guard that disappeared was found at his home and questioned. He said that his job had been to provide security for the 17th floor. He said he'd been warned not to shut the doors along the hall as they had just been painted and feared they would stick shut and workers' tools were stored in several rooms, so he was to just sit in the hallway, make sure nobody got into the rooms and stole any of the tools, and nobody allowed any of the doors to shut. He said he'd been sitting by a window reading a book, and one of the doors held open by a doorstop suddenly slammed shut. He got up, opened the door, and replaced the doorstop, went back to his book. In a few minutes, he glanced back up to see the doorstop from one of the doors slide across the floor, and that door slammed shut. Curious, thinking a friend might be playing a joke on him, he reopened that door, put back the door stop, and searched the entire floor. Didn't find anybody. Went back to his book, and all was peaceful for a few minutes, and then in unison, every door slammed shut. At that point, he panicked and ran screaming down the stairs. The guard that was on the 16th floor heard him run by, and he started running down the stairs behind him, and then the guard on the 15th floor started to run behind those two. And before you knew it, every guard was running, thinking that the first one, the one in front of them, wouldn't have been running if something strange hadn't happened. In another incident, it seems that during the construction in the 1990s, the crane fell from the roof, taking a worker along with it. The crane and the worker crashed into the roof of the third floor, which kind of juts out. There's a restaurant there and uh, some meeting rooms. The only way to get the dead worker off the roof of the third floor was to take him in through one of the guest rooms. And from that time forth, nobody was to stay in that room, and from time to time, those in the offices in the, in the part of the third floor where the crane crashed to hear something slam into the roof above them. Now, there's one other story, and from that story, there's actually proof 
There is a story that 1918, the time of the Spanish flu. Family with a nine-year-old girl checked into the hotel. They stayed on the sixth floor. I think it was room 605, but that may not be correct. It's been a while since I've wandered that hotel. Well, the turns out the little girl was sick, and she died in that room. Now, since that time, a lot of strange occurrences have happened. There have been the sound of a little girl humming and bouncing a ball on the sixth floor, but no one's ever found. And a number of guests who stayed now the hotel, ghost or not, still rents out the room. And a number of guests who stayed there woken up to see the little girl floating above them over the bed facing uh, down toward them. And, of course, there have been more than one instance of guests showing up at the front desk, still in their pajamas, carrying their suitcases, wanting to check out. Now, the staff um, has a special affection for this little girl. And one year... For the Day of the Dead, which is November 1st, they put a, a, a little altar in that room, and on it they set a very expensive Barbie doll. And on November 2nd, they want to take down the altar. Well, the altar was there, but the doll was gone. And, of course, there was a lot of finger-pointing. Um, everybody thought somebody else had taken the doll. And the um, fascinating thing, the doll was never found again. Now, I have on the cover of my book, Haunted Hotels, a photograph taken by one of the managers. He was wandering the hotel, just keeping an eye on things. And he saw, and when he stepped off on the fourth floor, a translucent little girl coming down the hall toward him wearing a nightgown and in her right arm she is carrying the missing Barbie doll somehow the ghost girl got the doll and she's been seen a number of times and each time she has that doll with her now there of course are many many more Stories of hauntings. You can't have a building over 100 years old that doesn't um, seem to have um, odd stories. You know, in downtown El Paso, it being one of the most haunted cities in the country, has a number of interesting stories. For example, across the, um, just down the street is the Cortez building. Located on the northeast corner of the North Mason Mills Avenue. It's an 11 story building. Began life as the Hotel Vendome. The structure takes the shape of an L shaped block around the second story with 12 bays facing Mason, 10 bays facing Mill Street. Now, while this building was ever ranked as one of the Trost uh, 
architect's more artistic designs, it did incorporate one original feature not found in any other building of that period. Peering out of the, the rondelles above the Mesa Street entrance is a series of portrait heads of conquistadors. Now, this hotel was erected at the cost of a million and a half for Alzina Orndorff de Groff, hotel operator in Tucson and El Paso. This hotel was originally called the Hotel uh, Orndorff. It was the third hotel to bear the name and the second Orndorff Hotel to occupy that same spot of land. It was said that the, between the cost of building the hotel and the furnishings, Alzina Orndorff de Groff spent $6 million. Now, one week before the opening of the Grand Orndorff Hotel in 1926, Alzina Orndorff de Groff was caught in a freak rainstorm, came down with pneumonia, and died before the grand opening uh, So uh, she had so looked forward to. But in spite of that, it's said by some that she still watches over her dream hotel, and changes are certainly not welcome in that hotel. In the lobby, workers are maintained they feel the presence of others even when they're alone, and most feel these presences come come and go up and down the stairs. And there have been reports of reflections of people being seen in the gleaming metalwork of the elevators who are not in the elevators. Um... There was a lady that I uh, got a lot of information from, and she helped me do one of my books, named Connie Wang. Now, she used to go through the building with the El Paso Ghost Tour. They were the ones that did the tours before I started doing them. That was before people stole my stories out of my books and started doing their own tours. It's easy when somebody tells you what to say. Because of her time spent in the building, she was very friendly with the security guard. One day she saw him walk past her without speaking and around the corner and to one of the other hallways and she saw something was wrong so she followed him but when she rounded the corner just seconds later the hallway was empty. Later found out he hadn't even been at work that day. He'd been homesick. So who had she seen? Never did get an answer to that question. Children had been seen and heard playing in the hallways when there were no children in the building. There's Joseph, a little boy who loves to ride his a tricycle in the lobby area. If you approach him, he'll race around the corner and vanish, much the same way the guard Connie Wang saw did. There was once a fast food restaurant located in one of the retail areas of the building. The night crew would complain about people coming into the to the counter, placing an order, and when the worker turned around to fill the order, they'd be gone. In fact, some of the employees of that establishment refused to work the night shift. Then in the ballroom of this grand building, a young woman dressed in a ball gown from another era will sit weeping. But if you approach her, she'll get up and walk into the shadows where there's no doorway, but she'll still vanish. Was there once a doorway there? That's no longer? It's been theorized that at this location there's a portal to another dimension where once wedding and parties were held. Maybe some of the entities are caught in between worlds, so to speak doomed forever to try and get back to their home, but always failing. And there are reports of a room off one of the cloak rooms where there seems to be some type of portal or energy vortex. The um, Several psychics call this a, a doorway. 
But the question is, a doorway to where? Well, there are a number of haunted locations in El Paso, but it's not the only haunted location I've spent time at. My wife, who is, I often refer to as my liberal wife, um, is a member of an organization that has um, annual meetings around the country. And one year, the meeting was in Long Beach, California, home to the HMS Queen Mary, which is now permanently docked there. Well, I took the opportunity since she was going to be at meetings, we checked into the Queen Mary, which is actually a, a floating hotel. Now, the keel for the Queen Mary was laid in 1930 at Clyde, Scotland. But due to the downturn in the economy, it took six years to finish, so it wasn't launched until 1936. Made her maiden voyage May 27, 1936. She uh, spent three years as a passenger liner carrying passengers across the Atlantic until World War II broke out in 1939. When we entered the war, the Queen Mary was converted into a troop ship painted gray to make her more difficult to detect by the enemy. She was known as the Gray Ghost. Ferry troops from the U.S. to England in preparation for uh, D-Day. And during this time, she set the record for the most people on an ocean voyage at one point in time was 16,683. After the war, she continued to serve the military by transporting war brides and children from Europe to the U.S., made 13 voyages in this capacity before she was refurbished and returned to a passenger liner status. Now, by the 1960s, ocean liners were falling out of fashion with the rise of air traffic between the continents. She made occasional luxury cruises before being sold to the city of Long Beach in 1967. She made her final transatlantic crossing and was permanently docked. Her boilers were removed. She was rendered unable to move under her own power converted into a hotel and a museum. Now, the room we had was not one of the uh, top-of-the-line rooms, but it was a very nice room. And there were numerous ghosts and hauntings reported on board the Queen Mary. Stateroom B340 is no longer rented out because the volume of paranormal activity is so great. People check in and immediately want to check out. Some people claim that the, that room is haunted by the ghost of a murdered purser. We found that information on other ghost websites, not on any of the tours conducted by the Queen Mary. The faucets are supposed to turn themselves on by themselves, and the sheets from the bed are said to have flown across the room. That room is now painted white with very little furniture in it. One of the most famous ghosts of the Queen Mary is believed to be that of John Petter, a fireman in the engine room who was crushed by the infamous Door 13 in the part of the ship known as Shaft Alley. Apparently, during emergencies, the watertight doors would be closed to seal off sections of the ship to avoid sinking. Legend goes that crew members would hop back and forth through the doorways as many times as they could before the door would close. Apparently, John Petter tried once too often, was crushed by the Door 13. A man seen wearing blue overalls, sometimes described as having a beard, has been seen walking down Shaft Alley and disappearing at door 13. On the Ghost and Legends tour, they refer to this man as Half-Hatch Harry. 
but that's not the real name. John Petter is listed on the sign in the infirmary of crew members that died. The First Class Swimming Pool is another famous haunted location on the Queen Mary. Some reports claim it's haunted by the ghosts of people who drowned in the pool, but the Queen Mary's own sign detailing the causes of death for passengers in the liner don't list a single death due to drowning. And the ghosts seen in the First Class Swimming Pool seem to be exclusively female. There are reports of at least one adult woman and little girl that haunt this location. The little girl is said to have drowned in the Second Class Swimming Pool, which has since been removed. Her name is said to be Jackie, and she's seen in many places about the ship. Changing rooms at the back of the swimming pool are said to hold a vortex of negative energy, or maybe it's a gateway between dimensions. One story suggests this is due to a woman having been raped in the changing room at one point, and there's a live ghost webcam that continually films the swimming pool. It's part of the special effects tour, Ghost and Legends of the Queen Mary, which includes smoke and light effects. And if you've never been on it, I urge you to go. While well, the boilers have been removed from the ship when it was docked at Long Beach, the massive rooms that once housed them remain. The four of the boiler rooms are now used as part of the Ghost and Legends special effects show. The massive middle boiler rooms have been converted into conference space, and the aft boiler rooms are included on the regular tour and the late-night paranormal tours. Now, don't get me wrong, the boiler rooms are dangerous places, and it's not surprising there are many locations that uh, have their own ghost stories. Jackie sometimes seen in the boiler rooms, as well as a male ghost that is thought to have been a crew member who worked on the boilers. These rooms are massive and have a creepy feeling about them, and the corners are anything but well lit. During World War II, when the Queen Mary was known as the Great Ghost, she accidentally rammed one of her escort ships, which caused it to sink. At the point on the bow of the Queen Mary where she collided with the escort, uh, screams can sometimes be heard. The public is normally allowed to visit this part of the ship on the, only on the Ghosts and Legends tour. Many other parts of the Queen Mary that are said to be haunted. seems the whole ship's a beacon of paranormal activity. The infirmary in the lounge or other parts of the ships with their own tales of ghosts. And... Our interviews of various members of the crew, we got reports of strange feelings fairly often. The only crew member that reported seeing a possible apparition related a story to us. One waitress at the Chelsea restaurant states she'd been working the host podium and saw three ghosts walk to her through the long hallway that leads to the deck from the deck to the restaurant. Looked down at her reservation book for a party of three, and when she looked back up, there were only two people. She asked the guests whether or not they preferred to wait for their third member before being seated, and they said there were only the two of them. She also said the faucets in the nearby women's room go on and off by themselves. The management of the Queen Mary, when I talked to him about uh, writing the books, uh, very kindly gave me a guide and turned me loose to wonder as I saw fit. I went into parts of that ship that nobody had been in in many, many years. And let me tell you, creepy feeling doesn't begin to explain some of the, uh, well, let us say, uh, atmosphere that you encounter on board the Queen Mary. If you are in Long Beach, I strongly recommend you spend at least a couple of nights there. You never know what you're going to uh, encounter. Um, 
and I can't say enough about how accommodating the staff can be. Well, I think we've come to the end of tonight's show. We'll be back on Monday. And once again, you'll be listening to The Ken Hudnall Show. Until then, have a truly great weekend.